this isn't that classic conceit where you tell a story about someone and it's really just a story about yourself. Our story is pretty simple. Hello and good morning. I'm the anti-Mason William Morgan, and this is 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio and TheSyncBook.com, a weekly conversation with the interesting artists and thinkers of our day. Today, on this 21st day of January, for episode number 120, we're going to consider a second life and perhaps end up putting family first. Somewhere, I had come up with the notion that one's personal life had nothing to do with fiction, when the truth, as everyone knows, is nearly the direct opposite. For in fact, the fiction both published and unpublished that moved and pleased me then, as now, was precisely that which had been made luminous, undeniably authentic by having been found and taken up, always at a cost, from deeper, more shared levels of the life we all really live. Or so says Thomas Pynchon. Hello and welcome. I'm Douglas Bowles, and today on 42 Minutes, we're going to consider the system behind the bleeding edge by meeting and speaking with Joshua Cohen, writer and contributing editor for Harper's Magazine. He is the author of six books, including Vitz, named a best book of 2010 by Village Voice, and Four New Messages, named a best book of 2012 by The New Yorker, and a New York Times book review editor's choice. His nonfiction has appeared in a number of popular journals, and more information about him can be found at his website, joshuacohen.org. 42 Minutes is honored to have him as a guest today. Hello and welcome to the show. It's good to meet you. Uh, very nice to meet you. Thank you for having me. You bet. When I read your essay in the October 2013 issue of Harper's, it kind of was a challenge to me to read Pynchon. Um, I knew I was supposed to. Uh, Gravity Rain, Gravity's Rainbow has always been on my list. Um, but can we start with the idea of a systems novel? What is a systems novel? What is a systems novel? Well, you know, it, it's it's very useful uh, terminology. I don't really know. I think it's descriptive more than it is prescriptive. It's a word or a phrase come up with by uh, Tom LeClaire, who is a very interesting book critic, um, who... Uh, was really trying to talk about how books of the 60s and 70s were were put together, how they were made. And it, it, it represents, to me, a fairly interesting departure in literary criticism because it shows a, a, a bit of an affinity for um, the actual materials of the book, how they were put together as opposed to uh, how a book's put together as opposed to how a book reads. It treats a book more as a, as a process. Uh, than as than as let's say a product, and that processual nature really speaks to what is at the heart of a, a system. It, it 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 basically says that these are books that that deal with relationships that aren't necessarily the relationships you know between or among characters. You know, a guy, a girl, a guy, a guy, a girl, a girl falling in love, going to business together, whatever, following their their relationships as they evolve. That that's really for, for, for Leclerc, and I hope I'm not putting words in his mouth, you know, seems to be an, an, old, an older way of doing things. These books proceed instead of, along the lines of the relationships between or among objects or ideas, um, analogies between different concepts of historical periods, it proceeds by symbols. Um, so one section would follow another section, not necessarily following a plot, but following a... a uh, 
a sort of subterranean logic, a symbolic logic or a, a dream logic or um, or really just parallel tracks that, that occasionally, you know, impossibly intersect. It, 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 it's a way of breaking free of these plot arcs and these... Um, these conventions that are that are really holdovers from the codifications of the Victorian novel, you know, back in the day when it was serialized and then published in these three volumes, where where you had to sort of pick up and renew a plot every uh, you know every installment, and 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 then in some way when the book is you know comes out of the newspaper and is then you know actually published as a book, you have to bring these plot arcs all together into some sort of resolution. The, this term is really for these, these these books like Robert Coover's, John Barth's, and Thomas Pinchon's, uh, Joe McElroy's, Don DeLillo's, Ursula K. Le Guin's, that are um, that 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 resist those easy resolutions. Is there a quintessential systems novel in your mind? Um, not not really. I think I think you know I, I really I really avoid these ideas of, of of what a quintessence of a theory is because the theory really you know comes after the novel. If someone wrote a novel to be a systems novel, it would probably be a terrible novel. But that would probably be quintessence. Um, I I would say that 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 the books that strike me as most illustrative of this idea would be or, or this idea kind of derived from would be. Um, you mentioned Gravity's Rainbow. I think one that 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 the, the clarity of the strains uh, 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 w- would be a good study would make it a good study would be Underworld by by Don DeLillo. Interesting. I actually I actually read that and and then wanted to maybe reference it because there's some strange uncanniness with that and the Fresh Kills landfill. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. There are. Uh, I mean, one of the things that that is interesting about Underworld is that it really does proceed in this in this let's say systemic way or systematic way where where um you have uh, a section about following a baseball you have a section you know following a, a character's childhood in the bronx you have a, a a section you know a number of sections um that are essentially lenny bruce monologues uh some other section <laughs> where you know a kid's masturbating and playing around with saran wrap you know but 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 really what it all adds up to is this is is is, is uh an unresolvable story about the about the cold war and so um and 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 you have j edgar hoover for example in one section and then you have a nun named edgar uh sister edgar toward the end and and really what 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 they're linked with is 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 a you know, is a re- is a religion of fear and a name, but 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 in a systems novel, let's say, um, mm. in 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 the classic definition now, in the now classic definition of a systems novel, that is um, that is a justifiable linkage. Yeah, um, and for our listeners who aren't familiar with Underworld, I should m- mention that the cover has this this image of one of the World Trade Center in clouds. Yeah, and then one of the covers. Yeah, and then um, I mean, so you're saying the the signified is the Cold War, but then the signifier might, you know, the heart of this whole thing is garbage. That's what I remember. That it's the story of garbage. <laughs> the story of garbage. I mean, in the sense of what? In the sense of following this, following this piece of cultural, you know, detritus around this baseball around, or how do you see it as the, as, the, as the story of garbage? Well, it's been so long, I don't remember it, but that's what I, I recall that. So the underworld, and it seemed like at one point they spent a lot of time at a dump or something. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's really, I mean, it, it's really about, it's, it's really like a secret history, a subterranean history of, 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 of the Cold War. I mean, I, I remember, you know, that, that, that cover that you're talking about, um, which, uh, we, you know, DeLillo has always had a, an, an interesting relationship with the, with the Twin Towers. Uh, there is, you know, that scene in Players where there's sort of a fantasy about, you know, w- these towers coming down one day, um, and 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 the the the, the, the woman in in players um, works in 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 one of the towers. That that cover, though, if you'll remember, shows the two towers, and then right between them is the cross of Trinity Church, which is of course one of the oldest churches in in America, and which where in in the graveyard of Trinity Church is where Alexander Hamilton is buried. That cross, that crucifix. Uh, on this very small spire, I mean, it's a very small building, shown right between the uh, right between the twin towers, is a uh, uh, you know became you know was a powerful symbol for you know Delillo's own sort of you know Catholic dread and 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 capitalist dread, but but certainly after 9/11 became a um, you know took on took on a, a different meaning, and I also wanted to kind of talk about for a second Pinchon's in Against the Day. He has a, uh, a a brief moment, I believe, in the Chums of Chance section, that really um, uh, is is a gloss on uh, on 9/11, and um, and is is has a similar though this was written after after the events has a similar sort of um, what's the word religious approach with bleeding edge though there there doesn't really seem to be any of that. Um, any residual religious, let's say, interpretation that you would find in earlier Pinchon, where he was obviously interested in 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 in, in this sort of deep Puritan ethic, and certainly, you know, Pinchon has never really had that much in his fiction uh, uh, of the of Catholic fear and Catholic dread. Okay, so we broached the subject um, 9/11, except he doesn't say 9/11; it's the 11th of September. So, yes. could you? Briefly summarize what Bleeding Edge Edge is for our listeners. Oh, it's difficult. Uh, Bleeding Edge. Bleeding Edge. Well, I mean, first of all, it's a tech term, right? It's uh, tech slang for something that's beyond the cutting edge, something that that cuts you so deeply, I guess, that it bleeds, or uh, it's not really stable. It's uh, it's dangerously unstable. Um, It's a book about. Uh, uh, a private detective, uh, uh, well, a fraud investigator who essentially fulfills a private detective role. Uh, who's a, a mother of, of two children, lives on the Upper West Side of New York, and she becomes embroiled in a conspiracy investigating a uh, an internet mogul who um, who might or might not um, be involved with people planning September 11th. And uh, uh, 9/11 happens, um, I guess, three quarters through the book, and it is it is really a history of New York in the 90s and in in the late 90s, um, in the so-called Silicon Alley boom, which is slightly exaggerated in the book, but is but 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 the the excesses and the and the um, the hedonism and the money of of 90s New York is as far as I. You know, I was I was just going to college in New York in those in those years, but uh, I, it, it it seems pretty accurate to me. I wasn't invited to those parties. <laughs> That's what those parties seemed like from the outside. And 
I, I mean, that's the the impression I got that that it was a place that I I knew at least from a distance, like the world that he's describing. But there's an absurdity to it, and since I'd never read Pinchon, uh, is this something? Is this in his style or specific to the Bleeding Edge? Yeah, I mean his style is is. I mean he he's he's a Picasso. I mean his style has changed with every book. I mean there's always this this intense fluency, this intense energy, but the but the style of the book. Um, I mean I'm talking the linguistic style, the sentence style here seems seems very, very stripped down for him, and, and the scenes seem very quick. If you're talking about style in terms of his love of parody and exaggeration... That's sort kind of, of part know, of the absurdity a little bit, where... Yeah, his absurdity, his characters with the, with, with the sort of insane names and the, and, the, and the crazy backstories, yeah, I mean, that's been there for Pynchon from, from, from the very beginning, um, and, and, and has never... Um, it, it really... That that actually is 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 the, the element of Pinchon's style that 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 I think turns the most people off. It, it it's the idea of how cartoony are your characters? How cartoony can you make them before they become quote unquote unbelievable or 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 or, or not you know not not real seeming? And um and and you know I mean I'll leave that for 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 other critics to sort of parse out. I've never really believed in the in the prerequisite of the believable to read a piece of fiction. But I, I, I do think the, um, it's what you're referring to as the absurdity is the, is the surrealism of it. Then yes, certainly that's a hallmark of the style. And so uh, specifically, do you think the prose reflects the system? Do I think the prose reflects the system of the, the novel? Era? Well, Oh, the system of the novel. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think the prose really reflects where he's coming from generationally, I think it really reflects. Um, One of the things I, I noticed was that it changes scenes rapidly. Yes. And to me, this kind of spoke to a bit of a hyperlinked moment, but I didn't know if I was reading into that or not. You know how well, sometimes... Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, the scenes shuffle a lot. I mean, very quickly you'll be in a scene, and then two paragraphs later you'll be in another scene. And yes, it is very reminiscent of of, of this idea of, of of linking and clicking through, and the idea of you know very fast shuffling scenes as a as as some page bound uh, uh, corollary to, to to how we navigate the internet, sure, or navigate the web. But but I would say that I, I would say that as much as it's embedded to this this hyperlinked process that we all engage in every day it's it's also very very much derived from the victorian novel um from uh yeah, i mean think about something like like vanity fair think about you know some of um some of bleak house the idea of 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 these kind of rapidly changing scenes scenes that are that are that are set up very quickly um in terms of mood with a lot of, you know, pathetic fallacy, you know, all of this sort of background is, is, is brushed in very, very quickly, and then a conversation is held, and then immediately two paragraphs later you're out and you're in another place. And that same sort of motion, I really, you know, I, I'm not going to speculate on what he was thinking when he was, when he was writing the book, but to me it really seems as a, a, a triumphant um, joining of both the, the Internet technique and also and, 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 and the speed, the velocity of a serialized Victorian novel. And uh, uh, and and it was that sort 
sort of dichotomy that was that was very interesting to me because of course he's called the postmodernist and in Victorian literature, you know, is called you know the height of realism. But 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 it's always kind of struck me that that Victorian novels are intensely irreal or unreal, and it's always struck me that that Pinchon's you know postmodernism is 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 really what I see around me every day. So uh, I, th- th- that that to me was a great triumph of the book that the style really could go in both directions, both deep into the future and deep into the past. Hmm. Yeah. Well, so one of the things that I thought about from your essay is this idea of the system reflecting kind of the larger zeitgeister paradigm that we're kind of living under, and and that is the internet. You mm-hmm. know, it seems like, and I'm thinking kind of of. David Foster Wallace and an infinite jest and and you know his complexity but the curiosity to me is how these authors are able to encapsulate a universe in in a structure of of a novel system but then our brains are not capable of of reading these incredible novels anymore so what is your take on the internet making us dumber or just changing the nature of our memory and attention oh i don't i don't think it's i don't think it's made us dumber at all i mean i think i think it's 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 given us more opportunity to, in, to indulge the worst of ourselves but it's also given us some opportunity to engage the best of ourselves i mean it, it's not as if you know a hundred years ago you had given someone um some analog to the to the to the vast number of options that we have now that they would have have somehow like, you know, restrained themselves or, I mean, this is just the, the internet is, 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 is nearly is a means of communication that can be used to do many, many things. I mean, obviously um, there's this idea of practically speaking, you only have a certain amount of time in the day. And if you spend all your time clicking around, you're not necessarily going to spend your time reading books, but still somehow people do spend that time. I mean, this book was, was, Bought and read by many, many people. Uh, I don't. I, I, I don't necessarily think that it, 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 it that there's anything to do with, with with intelligence in terms of speed or velocity or whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, I do think that it, it, it engenders a certain amount of impatience with 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 writing that 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 would seem more static. But every time I think that, I then have a you know I then have a moment where where I you know who live in today as much as anyone does gets very deep into a static text, into a, into, a, into a text that doesn't move around a lot. And I find myself, frankly, um, appreciative of it because it, 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 it spills me and it, and it fixes me when I, when I, when I need spilling and I need fixing. So, so I'm, not, I'm not really sure that these easy, that these easy dichotomies are, 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 are so valid. Now, as I just keep thinking of the word MTV edit, I don't know if you guys have ever heard that term before. But um, and it's the uh, the quick the quick paced, fast framed, um, okay. saturated of information and images. It's interesting to me that nine eleven happened right before the internet too, as it's like a uh, I, I don't know that the two are connected somehow. I know that there's that I can't remember the name of the report, but there's that report that came out on how to they needed another Pearl Harbor to advance into this new period, this information age. So like uh, 9-11 was a way of gaining control once the information saturation. Like, I mean, that, the, 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 these things, these things, I'm not, I mean, I, I, I think these things honestly are, are ridiculous. I mean, first of all, 9-11 <laughs> was, nine, I'm sorry, 9-11 was the defining moment of not of the internet, but of cable news. 
I mean, if you remember how many, yeah. you know, the idea of the 24-hour news network was insane. And if you remember looking at right. what a 24-hour news network looked at before, looked like before 9/11, it was it was the Weather Channel. It was one of the most boring things on the planet, right? But the truth is, is that once you had CNN. And then you had, you know, and you had Fox, you had MSNBC, and and they're and they're all sitting there, and 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 they have this event that they're putting on the screen, and they're looping constantly, and they're then they're split screening, and then they learn how to do, you know, the the that 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 you know green screen thing that you're basically writing on. Mm-hmm. It looks like you know you're doing football play by play. <laughs> I mean, that that was really it was really the moment for cable news, and it was on the internet that all of the conspiracy theories, you know, circulated. Right. And so you know, if you want to talk about in terms of like you know asserting power. You know, I'm, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I, I, have, I, I, I really have no trouble with conspiracy theory whatsoever. But I, I, I do believe that, that, that just from a power dynamic principle, you know, it, it was really the Internet that allowed people to, that has allowed people and still allows people and will allow people to voice, you know, what concerns they have that, 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 that will never be budgeted, that will not have a major studio behind them, and that won't, you know, take 3,000 executives to sign off on. So, so you see that power balance uh, uh, shift after 9/11, but you really see it shift in a in a, in a, in a, in a, consp- in a con- you know in a paranoid way, in, in a conspiranoiac way, um, and mm. that 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 to me is um, is is really the, the the fundamental power divide represented, you know, that that comes in the wake of 9/11. So, what is your model of what happened on 9/11? What is my model of what happened? Yeah, mental model. Mental model of exactly what happened. You said you're not a conspiracy theorist. I'm just wondering what you think happened on that day. You know, I I can't have it. Just a little bit challenging. Yeah, I mean, I can't. I can't have that discussion. I mean, like, I I, I mean, (laughs) it's not, you know, I don't I don't really believe that one can say, you know, I I think I, I, I think this is what happened. I mean, I. I, okay. I, you know, a lot of my family like live near the buildings. I spent a lot of time down there. I know people who were in the buildings. Like, wow. you know, uh, uh, what happened was physically what happened. Uh, I, 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 I can't in any way honestly dignify the idea that that this is something that America did to itself. And mm. then, why do you think he treated it in fiction this way. So he's not saying anything particular, but he definitely is bringing in a lot of the conspiracy theories, and so he touches them all. Of course, of course, yeah. I mean, conspiracy theories are conspiracy theories for, for Pinchon. I mean, those are his bread and butter, without a doubt. And, and but, 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 you know, he uses them in this book, I think, in, in, in the most sophisticated way that he's, that, that 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 he's used it before. Um, it, it, more so this way that he's ever used it. It's it, it, it's this way of um, not necessarily. It's not the content of the conspiracy that matters. It's never the content of the conspiracy. It's the psychology of the of the conspirator. Or if the content of the conspiracy uh, 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 means anything at all, it's really to show what kind of a person is made by this society, which you know really does hurt. And abuse and 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 prejudice individuals in ways that are you know in no way conspiratorial but are outright in the light of day. Um, it's really to show how this woman, March Keller, is her name in the book, is very much a product of her, uh, very much a product of her time. And 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 without you know endorsing any of her any of her theories. Also, I would say without condemning them totally, 
um, what he's really trying to do is doing the classic novelist thing of showing you a person's mind and showing you why they believe what they believe and not judging them. And I think that's I think that is enormously important. So one of the fascinating points in your in your piece in Harper's, you mentioned that his community kind of evolved with the internet. So it's one of the largest and loudest online communities talking about everything that he's written about, almost in a in a religious way. But so the, the interesting thing is that he embodies uh, a message of warning regarding surveillance in a total surveillance state. But then there's this kind of creation and warning at the same time. He's not creating this world, but in some way, the people that are interested in him are utilizing this technology to to know more, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, 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 there is no doubt that his real interest lies with um, with the power of the so-called powerless, and uh, and and uh, and the ways in which people, um, ordinary citizens, let's say, use that horrible phrase, you know, uh, write the power imbalance um, through use of technology. He did that in Against the Day by talking about anarchist movements in America um, that would, um, you know, bomb factory owners and uh, uh, and assault. Um, and, and, and assault um, business leaders. Uh, he, he and he does that here with with the internet. It's the way in which technology becomes a great leveler for people's grievances, whether they be um, rightful or not, and whether the way in which those grievances are uh, redressed is uh, is quote unquote fair or not. It's just that technology remains this remains this this uh, uh, especially you know. A- as, as, as digital technology becomes cheaper and cheaper, it, 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 it becomes this great way to, um, to redress these, these societal oppressions, let's say, that, 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 that we all truly suffer under, that we believe we suffer under, that we want to suffer under, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so beyond 2001, we arrive at a state of seemingly total surveillance, and mm-hmm. this in, ironically includes Eckhart Tolle's All Connected Now and Silicon Valley's Cult of the Transcendent Singularity. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, what do you make of the deep web and, and deep archer? Well, I mean, the idea that there's a part of the Internet that is not accessible is, is, is laughable. You know, I mean, <laughs> I, think that, I think that it's a very good fictional conceit. Uh, I think it's a beautiful idea. I, I've always liked this idea of, you know, the secret internet that, that that no one can get to. But we've we've seen recently that that's uh, that that that's true science fiction. Um, I think that the uh, that that the idea of total surveillance is something that is deeply deeply interesting to a novelist because that's what a novelist does, right? I mean, especially a third person, you know, someone writing a third person omniscient novel. Uh, uh, has the freedom, uh, has more power and more freedom than the NSA, right? You have to know what all your characters are thinking at all times. Right. You have to, and not only that, but you have to develop narratives that convict them, you know, uh, on their own agency. 
and that is a uh, that that's something that uh, especially if you subscribe to the you know Nabokovian model of you know the the author being the puppet master let's say for his characters that these aren't real people that these are sort of puppets and you're manipulating the strings and of course Pinchon um, was around Nabokov lectures when when Pinchon studied at Cornell. Um, if you really believe in this very deterministic view of, you know, of, of how to write a novel, where you have to have the characters appear as if they have agency, but in fact, you know, they don't, they're just mouthpieces or, or, or you know, paper dolls for the author, then, then, then really uh, uh, you have to look at this, you know, NSA as, as the greatest, you know, novel writing collective of our time. That said, it, it's always interesting as a novelist to have something along the lines of deep web, which I believe Freud used to call our unconscious, right? <laughs> that this thing that kind of just, you know, hovers at the bottom and, uh, 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 and, and, and these things pop up in, 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 in unexpected and completely inconvenient times. Um, and, 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 you know, and novelists, I, I, I think I'm going to speak as a novelist myself, you know, rely on those things. But, but to turn from, from literature to politics, Obviously, it's not the same thing. We can't live in a society governed by novelists. We can't live in a society in which we're merely characters who, who you know, can be conveniently convicted on our telephone uh, uh, conversations and on our email, you know, exchanges um, based on a, a predetermined narrative by a secretive government agency. I mean, that 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 is obviously where um, you know art and life must split. Are you aware of the work of Dr. Jeffrey Kripal? No. No. All right. So he's a religious historian from Texas, and he wrote a book called Mutants and Mystics, but he's looked at comic books as a form of literature, and what he found is that there's this kind of um, structure that repeats again and again where the there's this realization, of, like an awareness of their superpowers and the fact that they are the character and the hero in a story. And mm -hmm. then they end up finding a way to write themselves out of the story. So there's this real Authorize their existence. Yeah. And so okay. it's, it's interesting when we talk about, you know, the, God, the author. So, you know, the, the author's creating a closed universe and they are the puppet master, as you say, because it's been coming up a lot lately. Well, in the, his reality in the in Bleeding Edge, reality breaks down on 11 September, and this is when the public gains access to Deep Archer. Like the, the idea of randomness breaks down. What 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 is he doing there? I mean, I think what he's doing there is creating a novelistic climax that 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 you know that works and that doesn't use you know, 9-11 itself as a climactic event, because I think that's a very difficult thing to write about. So, so I mean, it, 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 to me, that was, to me, the 9-11 section of the book was, I, I mean, I think I wrote this, was you know, the most difficult for me to read and probably the, uh, the, the most difficult for me to write, even though it's in the shortest sentences and, and very, very direct and straight ahead and non-dramatic, non-dramatized. Um, she's uptown when she hears about it, I believe, at like a deli, and then she goes home and watches um, CNN. So there's no actual, you know, she's only a few miles downtown from from the towers, but there's no direct, um, there's, okay. she has no direct experience of it except the fact that her estranged husband horse um, is, is 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 you know in the, is, is, I think next to the towers or or, or, or we're supposed to be. 
I, I don't know. I mean, I think this is all about, I think that moment in the book is much more about, you know, aversion as to like what, what one doesn't write. I mean, I think that, I think that it's very difficult to, 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 as I said, to write about it Uh, in general. I think it's especially difficult to write about it as a New Yorker. Uh, uh, and as someone who I, I presume, though I don't, you know, I don't know anything about Pinchon, nobody does, but, but seems to, you know, probably was in New York at the time of the attacks. And, uh, I think it's, um, you know, it is a, a welter of associations that, um, that is tough because it was never really, I mean, I, I feel like I, I mean, I'm not going to speak for Thomas Pinchon, but I'll be obnoxious enough to speak for all 8 million New Yorkers. Um, I, I will say that it was, um, writing about, you know, that, that moment is, I think, very difficult because there is no real memory of that moment. There, there's so mm-hmm. many things that, that happened after. There's so many sort of disconnected um, moments of walking past lampposts and, and, and fences and seeing, you know, people's homemade signs and, and hearing the, uh, the stories of, you know, firefighters and cops, et cetera, et cetera, that, 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 that it, it would seem very, very, very presumptuous to encapsulate the moment in fully dramatized fiction. So I think that that moment really is for him a, 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 a get out of jail free card, to be honest with you. It is a way of, it is a way of avoiding doing, um, doing, doing work that is very hard and will not pay off. <laughs> well, so you wouldn't put this in the stack of, I mean, so a number of authors have written, I don't know, maybe we call this 9-11 fiction, but like Claire Massoud or DeLillo or Jess Walter or Ken Kalfas. This this doesn't necessarily sit with those other books where they're trying to treat the tragedy and come to some terms with it. Um, no, I, I mean, I think it definitely does. I just think it chooses not to show the, you know, the, 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 the moment of the attacks. I mean, I, I, I think that, that, that sort of, you know, death porn poetry, as I call it, is, is, huh. is, is, is not necessarily Pinchon's ideal. I mean, he's about dread. Pinchon is, is always about, you know, dread and paranoia. But then when the moment happens, he would always rather be elsewhere. You, you see that especially when, um, you know, in Gravity's Rainbow, when he's discussing something that was far more disastrous than 9-11, which was, you know, the, the, the London Blitz, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and his writing about the Blitz is all preparations right before and then, you know, during an air raid with kind of everyone uh, uh, going underground and, and hiding. And, and, and the actual, you know, implosions or explosions of the, of the two rockets onto, onto British houses is, is, is really, is really played down. I mean, you see that in, 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 in writing that, 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 um, I mean, you see that in writing about the Holocaust, frankly. I mean, how many, you know, how many people need to show you, you know, a march into a gas chamber or like, you know, or, or a crematorium scene? I mean, some of the most, truly, I think, representative. I'm not, I'm not saying beautiful. I'm not saying, I'm not saying important. I'm saying representative uh, uh, works of the Holocaust, meaning representative of the, I think, experience of survivors excludes that because to survive it, you weren't in a gas chamber and you weren't, you know, in an oven. To survive it, you were, you know, you were elsewhere. And so I, I think it's, I think it's, it's respectful. And I don't mean that in a modest way. I mean it in a, in a, in a truly dignified and honest way. It was, um, I, I think it was the right thing to do, which is not to say that when DeLillo does it in Falling Man, I, I find great fault in it. I just know that DeLillo's after different effects. 
and he also has a different set of, um, Tolulo has a bit more ruthlessness um, and a bit more love for the spectacle than yeah. Pinchon does, who's, I, I think, a more rhetorical writer. I, I seem, I mean, it was a, I went through a period where I was reading a lot of the 9-11 to, to get close to that, but I just wanted to be near that. Mm-hmm. And it's I, I I seem to remember Delillo really captured, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, the, the experience pretty well. Um, there's there's actually a, there's a wonderful there's a wonderful book I'm trying to I feel horrible that I don't remember the guy's name but it's the book that the Semiotext series published called Atta, all about basically following Muhammad Atta through flight school in in Florida, and and kind of hanging out with you know with his friends in Florida and becoming uh, and becoming radicalized. That um, that 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 is, to my mind, a a you know an incredible depiction of 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 9/11. Even though um, the event itself is is kept towards the very end and is told in terms that that seem to parody a a thriller novel, to be honest with you. And uh, uh, I, I I think there are many ways to do uh, there are many ways to do this one thing. But then this one thing breaks apart into many things. And the question is, what is the effect that you're after? And the truth is that the effect that Pinchon was after was a, was a larger story. And, and, to be, and to be bogged down in, that, in, a, in, a, in a smoldering pit is to ask people to feel for a, 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 a part of your story which doesn't necessarily, um, which isn't constructed to hold those emotions, which shouldn't hold those emotions because there are other things that, 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 that require them. There are other places that need that empathy and there are other places that need that attention. And uh, uh, whereas with, you know, with Falling Man, um, it's not the case. And whereas with something like uh, uh, Jonathan Chaffin Fowler's uh, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, I think that is, you know, uh, uh, um, the, the, the effect was really uh, one of, it was trying to be a purgative book because it was really talking about, you know, one very, in, a loss of innocence, a child's, you know, a child's reckoning with this, which is, you know, if, if children are your cup of tea, then that's, you know, then, then, then that's your poison, <laughs> right? Well, the loss of innocence is an, an interesting phrase to use because it seems like, you know, that that's a point, you know, the bleeding edge might be the seam between this world of the 90s and, the, the you know, the world post 9-11. Um, mm-hmm. But the curiosity to me is that this was also, it has such a movie-like quality because so much of the world who didn't have firsthand experience, you know, this wasn't a real place. It seems like mm-hmm. it's a, you know, it's a movie. It's all a movie because we witnessed it on a screen you know, New York is a character in a movie, sure. but the literature, you know, brings you into contact with the, the interior. I mean, I, I have to say, you know, as, as someone who, I mean, I, I worked, you know, downtown for years. I, I worked in a, in, 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 in a tiny bookstore, um, fairly close um, to, 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 to that site. And look, when you realize that between where the World Trade Center was, where the Freedom Tower, ridiculously named Freedom Tower now is, and and <laughs> and and the New York Stock Exchange is about you know what five blocks, six blocks. You go up you know to Exchange Place, go up to Wall Street, and and the idea that between 2001 and 2008, um, 
all of American history was basically dictated, you know, by four blocks. The tenor of the the tenor of 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 all the American news was dictated by events that happened within four blocks. Is cinematically crazy. I mean, it, it, you know, and 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 being down there, the physical, the reality of the space is, is cinematic. I mean, you have you know these tiny buildings, these little monuments. You know, George Washington was inaugurated here. Alexander Hamilton is buried there. You know, this was the first church that did this. This is Bowling Green. This is the Hanover Gardens where the British did this. This is the first settlement of the Dutch, you know. Like, all of this, you know, to have these little buildings, like these huge glass and steel monstrosities, is is, is an utterly destabilizing effect for, you know, a fanny-packed tourist, right? Uh, just as it is, you know, for a New Yorker who sees it every day coming off the Staten Island Ferry. And 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 so I think that anything that's really cinematic is is not grafted on. I think it's intrinsic to the place. It is a very very strange strange place. Have you ever heard of the Truman Show delusion? Yes. Yeah. Well, what do you yeah. think about its relationship to nine eleven? I mean, it's basically a nine eleven. Uh, it, it was the fact that people saw the, the the happenings on TV and thought that it was fake or that they were being mm-hmm. put on. And sure. You know, I, 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 I think that, I mean, there, there are two aspects to it. One is the, one is the, the aspect of the Truman Show delusion, which is, which is the surveillance one, the one that like, you know, you're being watched to see what your reaction is to this fake thing. Right. That thing to me, that thing to me is, 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 is a valid emotion. This idea of I'm being watched for my reaction because, because, because there's, you know, I, I feel that way in an elevator with a security camera as if someone's watching me live and I, and I need to entertain them and make their day better. But that's something that's be better taken up with my analysts. I mean, I think that the, the real, I think that the real, I think that the real question is what, what is what we want out of, out of, out of life. And I think that, I think that, um, a lot of this, um, conspiracy theory thinking. And I think a lot of this, you know, um, you know, delusions is like, you know, as you brought up are really about how we want to feel. And, and in America, which is, you know, steeped in the cult of celebrity, you know, we, we all want to feel that someone is watching us. We all want to feel that the world is a show being put on for our behalf, that we're the heroes of the novels of our own lives. But this is not a new thing. I mean, I, I've spent a lot of time in Israel, uh, for example, and, you know, Jerusalem syndrome is something that was that has been remarked upon for hundreds of years. And that's, you know, people going to, you know, Israel, going to Palestine and putting on robes and sandals and believing that they are, you know, living in the biblical period. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, 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 and and you spend enough time or you can spend one day, you know, walking along, you know, certain streets in Jerusalem and one can understand how how a person who craves a certain relationship with God, let's say, you know, would would fall into a delusion like that. I, but I think that these are all about things that we want and not things that are wanted from us. That was forty two minutes. Thank you for sharing well, it with us. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you, listener, for sharing it with us. You've been listening to Joshua Cohen on the SyncBook Radio, a production of thesyncbook.com. More information about the work of Mr. Cohen can be found at joshuacohen.org. For more information about the SyncBook, our guests, check out past shows, or just subscribe to the podcast via iTunes. Please be sure and visit our website at 42minutes.com. 
If you'd like to sh- support the show, we urge you become a donor. You'll find the donation links under each episode on the website and perhaps consider setting up a monthly charge. Also, if it's philosophy and 9-11 that, that interests you, stay tuned to 42 Minutes in February where we will talk to Camille de Toledo about the coming of age at the end of history. Thank you so much, and stay real, y'all.